Remember, you can get in touch with our fearsome foursome by emailing clubdubpodcast at mail.com and through Twitter using the hashtag at clubdubpodcast. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast, where the only question is, does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! Hi, I'm Rob Rose, and welcome to another episode of the Club Dub Football Podcast. This week, we're spending our time chatting about free agent winners and losers with the lack of any other NFL news. So let's throw over to PB, JB and Aldrin and get on with the show. Welcome back, gents. Good evening, Rob. Man. So in a week where the biggest NFL news is that Lavian Bell seems just as angry that he hasn't been signed as the anger that people should expect him to have signed, but he isn't, we're going to drift off into our own territory and have some fun all of our own by picking free agent winners and losers from this off-season. Now, before we get into this tumultuous topic, we're going to throw over to you, PB, because as usual, you can kick us off with Quiz of the Week. Welcome to Phil's Quiz of the Week. Absolutely. Got a bumper quiz for you this week, which goes against our um, our topic for this week. So I've done a little bit of digging into NFL stats records. So I've got 10 questions for you. Kicking us off, literally, question number one. Who kicked the longest punt in NFL or AFL history? So number one, longest punt in NFL or AFL history. Number two, no Googling, Aldrin. Number two, how long was the punt? So the longest punt in NFL or AFL history, who was it by, question one? How long was it, question two? Yeah, I'm not Googling, I'm just typing into a Word document. Longest punt, no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Rob said the questions were too easy last week, so I've mixed it up a bit this week. Number three, who threw the longest ever pass attempt in NFL history? So not necessarily a completed pass, but it's been recorded as the longest, as in most yards, attempt in NFL history. Question number four. How long was this pass attempt? So how many yards was this recorded as, as being thrown? For the benefit of all the Club Dub podcast listeners, there's steam coming out of all of our other host ears as they feverishly try and work out these answers. Many a furrowed brow on the podcast tonight. Question number five. Two players hold the record for the longest run in NFL history at 99 yards. Who are they? You have half a point for each. Question number six. How long was the longest kickoff return in NFL history? Question number seven. Who took it to the house for a touchdown? So the longest kickoff return in NFL history, who took that ball and ran it all the way in for a touchdown? Way one I'm actually confident on. Question number eight. Similar theme. 
How long was the longest punt return in NFL history? The longest punt return in NFL history. How long was it? How many yards? Question number nine. Who was responsible for taking that? Oh, I nearly gave the game away there. Who was responsible for taking that return in for a touchdown? And rounding us out with question number 10. Who kicked the longest field goal in NFL history? And how long was it? So again, half a point for each there. Feel free to tweet us, drop us a message on Instagram, email, let us know how you did. Right, I'm looking at a mixed bag of results here. I've just got certain questions with question marks against them, which obviously means I didn't know, but I've got a few. Okay, so here we go then, here we go. Who kicked the longest punt in NFL or AFL history? So this, this have you got this, JB? I've written Ray Guy. Wrong. No, it's, it's the end over end. It's Steve O'Neill, isn't it? It's got to be in Denver, surely, wherever it was. It was. It was. That's great knowledge. Okay. Jets, I think. Steve O'Neill. Famous. You see it a lot on Facebook. It's the end over end one that just keeps bouncing and rolling. So it's Steve O'Neill of the New York Jets in 1969 versus the Denver Broncos at Mile High Stadium. That's good knowledge from both of you there. I just, I just had. I wrote no idea somewhere in Denver. You don't get a point for that. Rob gets the point for Steve O'Neill. Oh, fair enough. So question two was, how long was this punt? <laughs> 69 yards. Um, if, if I have five guesses, I reckon I could get it right. Yeah, unfortunately, you only get one. Oh, in which case, I don't fancy my chances. <laughs> well, have a guess, Rob. Um, my, my guesses would be 94 yards, 95 yards, 96 yards, 97 yards, 98 yards, or 99 yards. It's, it's one of those, I think. It was proper end-to-end stuff, though. Pin your flag to the mast. Give, give us a guess. I kind of want to go 99, because I suppose that's... Yeah, 99. Wrong. JB, you said 69, <laughs> didn't you? Just as a bounce guess, I suppose. Also bounce wrong. Aldrin? I don't know. 92. Oh, no, Rob was closest. No points, though. I'm, I'm not that generous. 98 yards, it was. Boom. So, Rob, Rob's flying high at the moment with one point from two questions. Nice. Number three, who threw the longest ever pass attempt in NFL history? Now, can I have a guess? Because I think this was, like, last year, wasn't it? Was it Baker Mayfield's Hail Mary? It was Baker, Baker, touchdown maker. Monday, December the 14th, 2020, versus James's favourite, the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens, yeah. So question four is, how long was that pass attempt? It was something like 65 or 70 yards, something like that. It was it was so far back, something like so that. I, I got Baker right, um, but I also I said 78 yards for how long it was. 78 yards is wrong. Aldrin, are you going to guess? I want to say, like, I don't know, 71 71 yards is also wrong. Rob? Well, I would only be guessing a number because now I know it's Baker Mayfield. I remember the attempt, but... But that's fine. The number I feel, is I feel the like, question. So. I don't know. Um, Mayfield was the answer to three. Think. 65 yards. Aldrin was closest there. It's actually 70 yards. So it's from the Cleveland 40. <laughs> from the what Cleveland 40 to the back of the end zone. And it resulted in Ravens safety Chuck Clark crashing into a goalpost as he didn't realise the ball was in the back of the end zone. Well, I can't believe you won't. I can't believe you will not afford me one yard. Well, well, join the club, Aldrin. <laughs> no. Join the club. <laughs> See question two for details. I was told I was too easy last week, so you know. Right, question the fifth. Question number five. Half a point for each here. The two players 
who hold the record for the longest run in NFL history at 99 yards. I think, Derek, I think I Derek Henry's one. Yeah. Derek, Derek Henry, Henry against the Jags. Correct, yeah. in 2018. Every year against the Jags, just putting yeah. nine plus yards. <laughs> who was first? Um, I, I'll have a guess. Go for it. Tony Dorsett. Tony Dorsett is correct for them yeah. boys, the Dallas Cowboys. Versus the Minnesota Vikings in 1982. They stood for ages, didn't they? Half a point for each there. Anyone get both? No, I got got Derek. Rob, good work there. Half a point, JB and Aldrin. Question number six. How long was the longest kickoff return in NFL history? 109 yards. 109 yards is correct. And question seven. Who took it to the house? Your little favourite, Corderell Patterson. Corderell Patterson, correct, for the Vikings in a rivalry match against the Packers in 2013. How? Number eight, how long was the longest punt return in NFL history? 101. I went for 100. Both good guesses, Rob. I'll see I'd gone for 100, but can I say like 98 now that you've told them they're good guesses? But <laughs> wrong. You can say that, but you're okay. going in the wrong direction. It was actually 103 yards. Uh. <sighs> And who was responsible, question number nine, for taking that 103-yard return to the house? See, this this plays into my wheelhouse because this is before you guys followed the NFL, I think. I was going to say, oh, okay. Now, now, my Patrick Peterson is not correct then. Well, no, I think if I didn't know this name, that would be criminal, Phil. Am I along the right lines? Maybe. No one else? I, I, I had Devin Hester, so I'm probably no. wrong as well. Um, I think it's the Rams... It is the Rams. Yeah, so it's um, it's Rob Bailey. It is Robert Bailey indeed for the Los Angeles Rams against the New Orleans Saints in 1994. Listeners won't understand the relevance, but yeah, I mean, Wait, I mean, they they I mean, might they, they might understand half of it because like Rob is your name as well. They I are. Mean, you start every episode by going, "Hi, I'm Rob Rose." So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't tend to talk about my children's uh, names on the podcast. Oh, I didn't get that bit. Okay, I thought you were just referencing. Oh, oh come on, Phil. Yeah. Oh, Rob, Rob also has a daughter called Bailey, hence. I don't know if they, you know, connection. Rob, was she named after the surname of the famous punt returner? Uh, I'm feeling probably named. not. No, she was she was named by her mother. So uh, not a story <laughs> I can necessarily complete for you, Phil. Anyway. All of this is getting cut. <laughs> <laughs> Question number 10. Rounding us out. Anybody set for a full house if they get this, I wonder? No. Not, not even no. close, but not I know this come. one. Who kicked the longest field goal in NFL history and how long was it? Point uh, Half a point for each. It's Matt Crater. 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 64. I said oh. 64 as well. And it was oh. in Denver, obviously. Oh. See, you know, I, obviously with him being a Cardinal, I'd gone Prater. I, I went 63, but 64 sounds 64. pretty good now. I've heard it was it. Prater 64 yeah. in Denver. So what do I get? Half a point. And there we have it. So how did you do, boys? What's, what's your scores? Scores on the doors. Aldrin, I'll come to you first. I got a solid four and a half, seeing as you've been stingy and wouldn't let me have points for just Denver and uh, <laughs> and one out. So Four and a half out of ten. Not bad going. JB? I also got four and a half. Four and a half. I feel Rob's going to come in with a big in here to win the quiz today. Rob, what did you get? It's four and a half again. So you, you have literally all scored four and a half out of ten. <laughs> Hang on. Dang, I'm going to need to get a quiz tiebreaker. Oh, we don't need oh, a tiebreaker, do we? Need a tiebreaker. This is... Nicole Kidman, what's the tiebreaker? I'm not going to get you to dance with a coconut or pass a coconut amongst yourselves. Anyway, watch the film. It's a great film. Any listen, anyone listen at home, watch the film.
Thanks for listening. That was few squeeze of the week. Right. So after a, I don't know. I feel like that was an odd quiz because I feel like I got loads of stuff other people didn't get. But obviously the reverse must also have been true if we all ended up level. So you know, all, all good fun. Odd. I'm not having that. It was a good between quiz. us. Between us, we're, we've got pretty deep. We'd, make, we'd make a good where quiz we team. where we end. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We'd make a good quiz team. Yeah, that, that's where we end with that. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure the host is necessary, but you know, who doesn't love the internet, right, Phil? So with um, another quiz in the bag, it's time to talk about our free agent winners and losers. Four of us on the pod, one suggestion each. So, Aldrin, in true podcast fashion, you get to kick us off. Who do you think from this off-season is your free agent winner and loser, and why? So, I went for a loser, and the player that I've gone for is Hunter Henry. And I just think he he's really missed a trick not sticking around with um, the charges just because obviously they've got a really young exciting quarterback who's now you know got a year under his belt that bit more experienced but I mean Herbert's got all of the physical traits to be an absolute top level quarterback and I think he really misses a, a trick because he would have been an integral part of that offense you know he was a really good safety blanket for Herbert last year and I think that would have continued with that kind of rapport that they've already built into this year. Um, going to a situation in New England where, I mean, I've said enough over the last few weeks, I'm really not sold on the quarterback situation there. I think, you know, we talked earlier about um, some of the footage coming out of the New England camp of Cam missing end zone targets left, right and centre now. Obviously, we're only at OTAs and I'm not exactly massively concerned about any quarterback's performance at this stage because it's all, you know, it's all nice and easy without all that kind of pressure. But I just feel like you've probably got a bit more of a tumultuous quarterback situation there. You know, it's probably going to be Cam to start, but then, you know, are they going to bring in Mac Jones? Is there going to be that uncertainty about who's going to be under centre? And regardless of whoever's under centre, I think he's in a worse position because I don't think any of those quarterbacks are up to the same scratch as Herbert. Add to that, he's now going to be competing with Jonu Smith for red zone targets. And I think you've probably seen enough over the last year or two to suggest that Jonu Smith is probably the better red zone target. You know, he's a big, bigger, more physical presence in the end zone and he's done really well at. Um, nabbing touchdowns um over the last couple of years in tennessee so i just feel like i mean certainly from a financial standpoint he's going in very happy i'm sure on a 35 million dollar deal i think um but i just think he's yeah ended up in a much worse situation than where he was with the the charges and i just think the outlook looks a lot worse for the future years whereas if he'd stayed in in with the Chargers organization, he would have had a really good opportunity. Well, like we've said, probably to, you know, try and push for the Super Bowl in the next couple of years. So I just feel like it was a, a move maybe motivated by money. I know he's t- said all the right things about, you know, wanting to be a, a Patriot and come with that Patriot mentality. But ultimately I think, you know, he had a real opportunity to be tight end number one in a really exciting dynamic offense and, 
goes to fighting for tight end number one spot in a much more murky situation. So I just think he, he does himself a disservice. If you think about the Patriots, and I don't think you can necessarily call them losers when they end up with two. I mean, Hunter Henry, I know, hasn't been the most durable in recent years, but two very good tight ends. The weird thing for me about the Patriots is it didn't necessarily feel like tight end was a, a kind of red zone option for them last year. You know, one of the few genuine advantages of having Cam Newton was when you're inside the five yard line, that guy can still really produce and really run, run well in short yardage situations. And you kind of look back and I mean, obviously there's a great history with Belichick and the Patriots with tight ends, admittedly, like all of the positive history with the, the Patriots very much tied to Tom Brady as well. But you look at what they did with Gronk. I mean, even when they had tight ends like Ben Watson, you know, you, you, you feel that the, there's been a good game plan for those types of players in the past. But yeah, the, the big point you make is just undeniable, isn't it? I mean, unless there is a really significant shift in the way they play the game of football, you know, surely they've spent their money on an embarrassment of riches in what feels like not, not necessarily um, the key position. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I was imagining with all of the things going on at quarterback, whether it was Mac Jones, whether it was Cam Newton, that they were going to be very much built around run, whether it was Cam Newton or, or you know, a, a true running game. I suppose tight ends are a necessary um, component there with their blocking skill. But yeah, I mean, it does seem odd and particularly odd for Henry. I mean, when you're coming off injuries as a young player, I would want to be a target for your team. Somebody in offense is, if not built around, I think maybe that's a little bit odd to build around a tight end in, in the modern NFL, but just to feel a bit more relevant. Um, we might be looking in a couple of years at the kind of situation that has befallen a couple of other less durable tight ends. Tyler Eifert springs to mind, you know, a guy who all of a sudden, you know, may never find his way back. And um, yeah, let's hope better's ahead for Hunter Henry. Yeah, I kind of, it's kind of listening just to Aldrin and, and you talk about it and kind of thinking if you look like historically at teams that have had the most success with two tight end sets, the New England Patriots are probably at the top of that list, at, at least kind of in, in recent years. Um, I think, Josh McDaniel especially is is talented at kind of scoping up plays to, to get players in space and, and use them for their strengths. Like we keep coming back to every time we talk about the Patriots, though, this isn't the same Patriots. You don't have Tom Brady distributing the ball. And you saw last season with his connection with Gronk and how that came in towards the end of their, their Super Bowl run, that maybe it's it's just as much the quarterback getting the ball to the players as it is the players executing the, the plan as it's been drawn out. Say what you will about Cam, say what you will about Mac Jones and Brian Hoyer and uh, Jared Stidham, kind of the, the four options in New England. And like Cam's had great success in his time in Carolina with um, Greg Olson, another absolutely class quality tight end. But again, we're not talking about that same Cam and what is the New England offense going to look like? Who's going to be who's going to be put in charge of of the engine and, and running it? Is it going to be Newton? Is it going to be Jones? Is it going to be inexplicably sorry Brian Hoyer? Um, who, if it's Jones, you've then got a rookie 
not just trying to learn a, a scheme, but you've got a rookie trying to learn the NFL at the same time whilst playing in two tight ends. And yeah, a, a tight end is a rookie quarterback's best friend, but you you have to look at the situation and kind of think, oh, there was probably, if he could have stayed in Los Angeles, there was probably more more there for him. I think your point's spot on when it comes to QB. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm completely off with this. I think QB is the problem with with success at tight end for New England. You know, New England pick up Andy Dalton, let's say, in the offseason instead of him going to the Bears. I would feel far better about Andy Dalton under center than any of the names you've just mentioned. I I think Cam is is beyond his best considerably. I, I saw nothing last year beyond short yardage running that made me think he was he was a viable option. Jones Stidham and um, Hoyer, surely not. Um, I feel about the Patriots, I feel very much the way I feel about the Broncos. Just go and get somebody. You know, there's talent elsewhere on that roster. Just go and be aggressive. And, and maybe I'll look back and go, well, they were aggressive. They went and got Mac Jones. But he's the hope for me because I think everyone else has a very obvious ceiling in that quarterback room. Yeah, agreed. I think my initial reaction was to to definitely agree with you know, my right honourable friend, Aldrin, that Hunter Henry would have a, you know, would would have downgraded going from the Chargers to the Patriots. They have, you know, a, a good young quarterback prospect. Um, they, they've got an exciting offence. You know, they've got some players back on defence that they didn't have um, last year. Like Derwin James, for example, is going to be back this year, who missed all of last season. So, you know, they've got the potential to be a better team. But you can never count out the Patriots, can you really? I mean, last year they had a sucky season, but, you know, a a couple of close games that they lost here and there and and they could have turned into a playoff team. They've got some playmakers back this year. So Hightower's back this year, as example. They've made, you know, a little bit of a splash in free agency. Um, So I don't know. It could, you know, it, it could work out for the best for him. And he could be one of those reasons why, you know, the Patriots have always had a strong um, offense around, you know, throwing to tight ends. If you you think of Gronk and predecessors to Gronk that I probably won't name, um, you know, that's that's been a cornerstone of their offense. So I don't know. I I, I wouldn't count them out. You know, it's, it's a tough division. The Bills are going to be good. The Finns are, are probably going to be good, but then you know the story fresh in the mind of Tua throwing five picks at, at mini camp the other day. So you don't know with them. So I, it's going to be a tough one, but I could see it going either way with, with them. So I think I'm going to. In my initial reaction was to blazingly agree with you, but I think I'm going to sit on the fence on this one and say actually it could work out. Look back at the history of the league. Look at league MVPs over the last thirty years and tell me how many of those league MVPs are quarterback. The quarterback sets your ceiling. And for me, I think Hunter Henry, Hunter Henry and Jonah Smith are great tight ends. Cam Newton, Mac Jones, Brian Hoyer, Jared Stidham are your problem. You know, you know, they set what's possible from the players around them, just like I think Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater do to a degree in Denver and a few other franchises besides. I mean, it feels like a, a sandwich bet type. So I cannot see the Patriots being relevant and I actually think, you know, everyone's like, well, it's the Patriots. They find a way. They didn't. We, we watched them last year and they didn't. And they've bought back people in Cam Newton who limit their ability to improve in my eyes. I, I think the Patriots need to be careful. I, I think 
you know, is it a level of arrogance that they, they don't feel they need to go out and get somebody? Um, but equally, you know, it, it, it all comes down to Mac Jones. I have very little faith in But if that guy was to spark, like, like we saw Herbert do, or like we've seen a, a number of rookie quarterbacks do over the years, if he was to spark, that team comes together very quickly because there are good pieces around him. But yeah, I'm, I'm not as on the fence. I think you're right, Aldrin. Uh, I think Hunter Henry is in danger of um, of being uh, a, quite an anonymous presence in the NFL next season in that team because I think he's probably the sixth, seventh best tight end in the league and he starts as the second best tight end on a pretty average team, but maybe we'll be proved wrong. So, great start, which means PB, you are up. Give us a winner or loser in NFL free agency. Who have you gone for and why? So I've gone for... Mm, I've actually gone for someone who was traded rather than a free agent. Um, we'll I'll allow, allow it. it. Yeah. Yeah, fine, good. So my initial reaction is Julio Jones, because I think he's gone from a team with no hope um, of making a, a playoff push, no hope of a Super Bowl, to a team that you arguably say he could push them to be a Super Bowl contender. I think we had a, a lot of discussion around them last week, didn't we, around whether it, it makes them any different. And I know that I did say, I don't actually think it, it makes them, you know, I don't think it pushes them any further than the, the two punch that they had last year. So on a team basis, I don't think they're that much stronger. However, for Julio himself, you know, he's put himself in a great situation. He's going to be playing playoff games next year. You know, they're going to get out of that division, whether it's themselves or the Colts that win the division, they'll both make the playoffs, I think. Um, barring you know a big injury to Derek Henry who, who plays a big part in their offense but yeah I think it's going to be a win for Julio I think it makes him stronger I think it it almost might make him a better player next season because you kind of you know it's wetting his appetite a little bit again he's maybe a bit you know jaded he's, he's had some dodgy injuries and you know they've had a, a couple of losing seasons now in Atlanta so going to a team you know with a, a kind of thriving offense you know a successful team over the past couple of years couple of playoff appearances probably the best running back in the league you know I think that's something that's really going to drive him on so yeah I reckon Julio's uh, a winner of this offseason for me uh, I, I'm in agreement with you on I think pretty much everything there on Julio landing in Tennessee and Tennessee improving his chances of getting to the playoffs and kind of that assessment of the Falcons. Um, it kind of in our, in our pre pod discussion, I kind of said one of my winners that I was considering was also a Falcon, but weirdly enough, I'd gone Alex Mack moving from Atlanta to San Francisco. And I think one of maybe one of the important things to to kind of say from where I'm coming from is just because we we're talking about a player who's necessarily whose prospects are necessarily getting better or worse it doesn't necessarily mean it's an indictment of the previous team it just means where they are landed is slightly better for them I think the Falcons have still got a good team I think they are just a, a team that maybe can't decide if they're rebuilding or if they're reloading because taking Kyle Pitts at the position that they took him at indicated to me that they were reloading for another run pairing him up with julio jones calvin ridley gives them an explosive air attack but then trading julio jones kind of says well are you trying to move players on to then rebuild and it just feels a lot like maybe the falcons haven't decided just what they want to do right now 
and when we've seen teams unable to make that decision before it's come back and cost them it's great for jones because jones is out of that confusion and out of any potential rebuild and in a team that is i think definitely still on the rise i'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit on this just because i don't disagree with you phil in fairness i think tennessee is a much better position for him to be in purely because they've got much more chances of getting to the playoffs and and going a bit further in the playoffs on a personal level though if you'd asked him to pick what organization he would have wanted to land in as a wide receiver i don't think tennessee would have been that first team that you would pick purely because if you're going from catching passes from matt ryan you're not ending up in a better situation in Tennessee, are you? Let's be honest. I mean, I think we all agree Ryan Tannehill's outperformed himself and Tennessee will be amazed with how well he's kind of turned into their franchise quarterback. But if you're, you're not going to catch an awful lot of passes from the guy, you know, he's handing the ball off to Derek Henry an awful lot. So um I don't disagree with you in the sense that he goes into a into an organization that's got a much clearer path of where they want to go and have got a much um, better chance of making the playoffs and going further. But on a personal note, uh, I think there are a couple of teams that he, when he was on the trade block, he would have preferred to be traded to just because he's going to get better numbers. He's going to get more, um, more of a central point in the offense rather than just being a what i would amount to probably being a, a wide receiver too in a run heavy offense so that that would be my only counter to it but i don't disagree he's in a better situation where he is now i think there's some really interesting stuff in there jb i think your inter- most interesting point um there is about the falcons i think you're right i think it's very hard for a team to commit to rebuild when you have a quarterback like matt ryan you know when you have a guy who's coming probably towards the end of his career you know, maybe not at the very end, but but could potentially be, say, three years away from the end. It's a big decision to decide to rebuild without truly starting again. I think they're looking at this year thinking, well, let's see how we do. We we might, under a new head coach, we might surprise ourselves. A bit like the Chargers, actually, last season. You wonder how many games were lost due to poor coaching. A bit like Lynn at the Chargers. Um, but actually, the other point, for me, is there's a really interesting comparison here between the Tennessee Titans and the New England Patriots. I mean, you picked it up, Aldrin. They've got Ryan Tannehill. He's hardly a superstar, but actually he's a perfectly serviceable, pretty accurate quarterback, given good situations around him, given good time in the pocket, not asked to do too much, given good weapons. And it only makes me even more frustrated about your initial point about the Patriots. Like I say, you put Andy Dalton in that quarterback room, I would feel very different about the Patriots. You know what? I think they limit themselves in that way. Um, Julio Jones undoubtedly in a better situation. I think they could do interesting things. But your last point was the big point for me, Aldrin. They're still run first. You know, two great wide receivers at that team. I still think they're run first. Um, But let's see how far they could go. Um, Good shout, actually, PB. I I wondered quite how that would flesh out. But actually, the more I think about it, I think you're right. If we're thinking about individual players winning and losing, Julio Jones is definitely one who gets an uptick. So after that, does that mean we're coming to me? So if your Julio Jones one is a bit off the wall, um, I think mine's probably equally odd. um, Because I think until you bear with me and hear me make my argument, 
Um, it doesn't entirely make sense from a from a first listen. Um, my winner is Mitchell Trubitsky. Um, and actually, the win that I'll give you is not only Mitchell Trubitsky, but also the Buffalo Bills. Can we just can I just interrupt you, Rob? Make sure you add a pause for laughter in there, okay? <laughs> Well, I love the fact I said you have to give me time to flesh out my idea and, and you do that. I can't wait to see where this is going. So here's where it's going, right? Let's look at um, teams in Super Bowl windows, right? So not, not the Bills, but let's pick some from the last few years. Let's pick the Saints. Let's pick the Eagles. Let's pick the Chiefs. Let's pick a number of teams. Um, the Rams would be another one. Let's pick teams who are in Super Bowl windows and think about how many of those teams over recent seasons have relied in part on a backup quarterback, whether it's been Drew Brees out for the Saints, whether it's been um, Matt Moore coming in and actually post Matt Moore, Chad Henney. Um, I think that getting Mitchell Trubisky for a million dollars for the season for the Bills is good business because is he Josh Allen? No but he's a guy who can play in a similarly set up offense, a guy who's got good mobility, a guy who ultimately, you know, made the playoffs and is serviceable as a starting quarterback should you need him. Then I look at the Buffalo Bills and go, Josh Allen, who I have seen dive headfirst to make first downs probably more than any other player in the NFL in the last three years, let alone any other quarterback. I think to imagine that Josh Allen will go the whole season next season without having to come out of a game, without having to miss games is unlikely. And previously the Bills were left with Matt Barkley. Here's the thing about Mitchell Trubisky. If you have to put Mitch Trubisky in, do I think that Mitch Trubisky could win you a playoff game? Probably. I think with the good coaching around him, with the talent around him, with all the things going on in Buffalo that seem to be moving in such a positive direction, I think without Josh Allen, Mitchell Trubisky is a million dollars really well spent. So from a Buffalo Bills point of view, just winning all day long, paying that guy so little to fill what could be such an important role. Then you look at Mitchell Trubisky and go, well, look, he wasn't about to get a starting job anywhere. You know, nobody was going to put him under center next season and, and build their franchise or their game plan around Mitchell Trubisky. A bit like, I've got to be honest, the Ryan Tannehill example when he went to Tennessee a couple of years ago. Ryan Tannehill went to Tennessee thinking, you know what? If I end up with an opportunity in a well-run franchise with a good supporting cast, I feel I could do something. And actually, famously, Tannehill's agent came out and said that, didn't he? I think he said, you know, we looked at places he could get an opportunity to actually bump himself from off the bench to on the field. And we looked at what teams, if that opportunity came calling, could give Ryan a chance to be successful. Mitchell Trubisky is the most bizarre of NFL quarterbacks in that we're talking about a, a quarterback who played playoff football last season that seemingly no one in the league rates. Um, I think Mitchell Trubisky gives himself the best possible chance to be a relevant NFL player in future by backing up somebody like Josh Allen. Somebody who, if he comes in and gets his chance, has great players around him, well-schemed, and again, He's mobile enough to do some of what Allen does. Not, not as good as Allen does it, but that's why he's only been paid a million dollars. But I think, again, Mitchell Trubisky and his agent should actually take a bow 
you know, that guy might only be on a million dollars and he might have got three, four, five million to back up somebody else elsewhere. But he has just given himself half a chance of a long NFL career by making what I think is a very smart football move. So we record our podcast every week on a meeting client that Phil, I think Phil's already mentioned the name of it, but just in case I won't hear. And listeners, if you could have seen the reaction from the three of us when Rob said Mitchell Trubisky, I, th- I think it, it was it was terrible. And then, Rob, you laid out your reasoning there. And you've kind of swayed me to it. Um, we, we have I'd said when we've been watching uh, Red Zone and things like that together, that Josh Allen is one of those quarterbacks that you just think is going to is going to injure himself at some point he's you know he's not necessarily prone to sliding he likes to kind of power through and get everything that he can and that will probably catch up and cost him one day and yeah kind of the bills need to make sure they have an experienced person to step in and kind of take the reins for a game or two because that's really what your your backup quarterback is there for he's not there to step in and save the day and turn into a franchise quarterback yes that's what happened with sorry to mention him again but tom brady or people like that you're just there matt moore chad henney being the examples that you've given as what you want a guy who can come in run the offense not so minimize mistakes, not wreck everything for the team, and then move on. I think Trubitsky gets a bit of a bit of a knock because of his career in Chicago. It's not necessarily his fault that the Bears traded up to get him at two when there were other people available. And yes, for a lot of people, the memory that you have of him is kind of the field parting like Moses parted the Red Sea and a Bears player absolutely wide open in the end zone that he didn't notice for a gate for a potential game winning touchdown but he's still got the potential he's won games before he's he's not a a terrible pick by any means and by any stretch of the imagination so if the Bills are picking him up as just an insurance cover yeah, I think he's got a better chance of being successful there than he has with the Bears, which was kind of the, the point of this exercise. And yeah, I'm, I'm kind of on the Trubisky train. So is your point, Rob, basically that it, it's been a strong off-season for Trubisky because he's in a better backup opportunity with the Bills than he would be a better backup opportunity elsewhere? I suppose that's what I'm trying to wrap my head around because I don't think he's going to get, you know... I I don't think he'll start a game for the Bills. I don't see Allen missing game time. And I know that, you know, he could blow out his knee in week one. You never know, do you? It's, it's a total risk. But I I don't think going there and backing up is going to make, you know, give give Mitchell Trubisky any better uh, better career prospects than, than he already had. Do you know what I mean? So if he comes in, you know, if it happens, if he comes in and he plays a game and he looks good, then, then you know, maybe someone will take a punt on him elsewhere. But you know you you we're kind of just saying it's worked out for him because he's you know backing up a potential Super Bowl contender he could win a Super Bowl while riding the pine you know uh I'm not sure I'm I'm on board with that so so that is not my point at all my point is not Mitchell Trubisky can win a Super Bowl right scrub that my point is look at how many Super Bowl contenders over the years have had a month without their starting quarterback and needed to go two and two right? They, they needed to just ride it out. I think the Saints with Bridgewater and then actually more notably last season, I suppose, with Taysom Hill would be an example. I know they didn't go on to, to win the Lombardi, but 
My point is Mitchell Trubisky. So let's make, let's take your first challenge, Phil. Mitchell Trubisky wasn't starting anywhere. So Mitchell Trubisky's options were backup across the board. No one's paying him to be a starter. He could have probably earned more money by going elsewhere because a decent backup, you know, this guy played a playoff game last year. He could have been taking $4 million. You can't see Josh Allen missing time. I can see Josh Allen losing an arm the way he plays football. I can see, you know, that, that guy just plays with a reckless abandon that does not keep you off the injury list. It really doesn't. And what I'm saying is, if you're going to get a spot, that small amount of time to prove yourself in the spotlight, where better to do it at somewhere like Buffalo, where they play how you like to play. They use your mobility. They use a nice balance of run and pass and they're able to make things happen with the way they scheme. That, for me, is why Trubisky's in the right place. He could be $3 million richer, but I think he'd be cutting his NFL career three or four years shorter than the decision he's ended up taking. That was my point. I'm, I'm going to pick on one of the things that you mentioned, Rob, as the biggest counter to, to Phil's commentary, that the situation he finds himself in now doesn't enhance his career prospects. Look at Teddy Bridgewater. That guy was a £1 million backup for a couple of years in New Orleans, played three or four games fairly serviceably. You know, he, he looks like he could still play, he could move the chains, but nothing super splash, nothing special. I mean, look at his career prospects. The guy got picked up as a starter in Carolina and more than likely Denver and has been paid pretty handsomely to do it. So I, I think... Being a backup in a good situation does enhance your career prospects. Certainly as a, a quarterback, if you show that you can be serviceable, there's always a quarterback needy team that is going to call on you and pay you $10, $15 million to go and be a starter for a year before they find the guy. Um, so I certainly class Mitch Trubisky in that bracket. Like you said, Rob, the guys played playoff football and wasn't the reason they didn't win that game, in my opinion. You know, I don't think he was massively to blame for any terrible performances. You know, he, he looked fairly serviceable. You know, he could play as a starter. So I I certainly think the situation he finds himself in does enhance his career prospects and enhances his chances of being in a team that could well and should make a decent run in the playoffs. And like you said, Rob, I mean... Josh Allen, I think we all loved the way he played last year and he looked phenomenal. But equally, he does put himself in situations where he's going to get hit. It's easy for a quarterback to miss two or three games. And if Mitch Trubisky comes in and they go two and one or three and oh in, you know, in Josh Allen's absence, then I think Mitch Trubisky does himself a world of good. I think he finds himself in a good situation with some good wide receivers there now. You know, they've got Stefan Diggs. Uh, they picked up Emmanuel Sanders, didn't they? Who's always a great safe pair of hands. So, you know, if you want to go into a situation that's going to put you um, back in the shop window, like we said, nobody's paying him starting money this year and he was never going to get that opportunity. So picking a good organisation to go and be a backup in um, was a smart move for me. Plus equally, I don't, I know he gets a bad rap purely because of where he was drafted, but I don't think he's a bad quarterback. I think we've seen worse and, there are worse starters going into the league this year. I think Drew Locke is probably the one that I would pick out. You know, there are worse there are worse quarterbacks that are going in as the presumptive starter of their organisations this year. So, um, yeah, I think if he gets an opportunity and does well, certainly 
next year somebody's paying him 10 15 million dollars like Andy Dalton is at the Cowboys in terms of that so we're talking about Mitch Trubisky being paid a million dollars Andy Dalton next season will be paid 10 million dollars by the Bears Teddy Bridgewater will be paid 11 and a half million dollars by the Broncos Taysom Hill 12 million dollars by the Saints and I mean even if you go to the second or third choice QBs in a number of teams so if I take, for instance, Case Keenum at the Browns, $6 million, Tyrod Taylor at the Texans, $5.5 million. You know, it's, it's one of those things that you start to look at some of these numbers. I mean, Marcus Mariota, $4 million to be paid to sit on the roster of the Raiders. I'm not saying that Mitchell Trubisky is somehow going to turn into an NFL superstar and they're going to put his face on lunchboxes. I'm telling you that that guy could have got more money elsewhere, but I think he's made a very smart decision. He's on a one-year deal. If he does spark, as we're now talking about, and he has one good game, you know, maybe he plays a Monday night or Sunday night football, you know, and leads him in a fourth quarter drive. I think he's just extended an NFL career. And I think just one or two good games could actually change the view of him, could make him feel a little less like damaged goods. And maybe like a guy who's still young enough to think he might have a second wind and might just fit in a system somewhere. Do I think he, you know, was able to achieve anything better? No, I think he could have been greedier, but I think he's been smart. And I think ending up in an organization like the Bills is a very, very smart move. So that means there's only one left, JB. You get to convince me who your free agency winner or loser is. Take it away. Well, gentlemen, across the um, wide tapestry of sports and entertainment. There have been many successful Kennys. Kenny Rogers, Hall of Fame country music recording artist. Kenny Dalgleish, English and Scottish Hall of Fame football or soccer for some of our international listeners, player. And this year, in this season's free agency, Kenny Golladay, for me, was the probably the pick of the wide receivers, with all due respect to current Arizona Cardinal, AJ Green and Golladay landing at the Giants moving from the Lions kind of feels a little bit like a loss to me not necessarily because his prospects have got dramatically worse but because I think they could have got better this isn't this is more of a lateral move rather than an up or a down kind of thing um Golladay and Stafford, I think, had good connection when 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 Golladay was fit and when they could link up. And you definitely kind of got that vibe of if they'd managed to persuade Calvin Johnson to carry on, eventually getting to the point where you had Megatron on one side and Starscream on the other side, you kind of would have had a Lions offense that you would fit never happened and obviously Stafford has now moved on into a hopefully successful career for the Rams Goff I don't think is Stafford I think we've talked about this before and I think a lot of people are kind of looking at Sean McVay and the Rams moving on from Jared Goff as a sign that maybe Goff isn't that top tier top caliber quarterback that everybody was looking for from the number one pick But moving from kind of a Jared Goff offense to a Daniel Jones offense, how much kind of difference is there between the two? And 
yes, we can talk about kind of the other successes that the Giants have got. They've picked up Carl Rudolph from the Vikings. They've got Saquon Barkley coming back and looking sort of fit and absolutely raring to go and prove he's the player that everybody thinks that he is. But much like the point I made when we were talking about uh, the New England Patriots, it all comes down to the quarterback. And you have to ask yourself the question, is Daniel Jones the kind of quarterback that can help get the most out of a player like Kenny Golladay? Personally, no. I think I don't think we've seen enough from Daniel Jones kind of over the years to really show he's someone that can consistently run an offense and can consistently feature a quality target like Golladay. And you kind of have to think if there were other options out there. Again, put Golladay on the Arizona Cardinals. So like pair him up with with sort of Christian Kirk and Kyler Murray, and you've got to look at that and think that was a better potential landing spot than where he is now. I'm oddly, I'm going to disagree with you on this because as much as I deride the the Giants, and I, I still think they're a ways off. I think if you're if you're talking about has he improved his situation over last year or staying where he was then I think you have to say that he has improved his situation. I think well, we've talked about it a couple of weeks ago where, you know, we've said that the Lions look like in a full rebuild mode and they're probably another year away. They're probably looking at writing off this year and jumping into next year when they've got a whole host of picks and, you know, they can really kick on with the franchise. I think they've taken a, almost taking a year off in terms of they brought in Goff just to, you know, move some things around and get some some picks in. And I, I think they're a little way off. So I don't think, you know, staying in Detroit was going to end positively for him this year. Um, I certainly think the Giants offer a lot more, you know. So I think, um, I, I do think that they offer a lot more for his prospects this year. And I think if he can stay healthy, then although Daniel Jones isn't, the complete package like rob said last week the guy can throw a good deep ball and having golladay there offers a real good physical presence for him to be the guy coming down with touchdown passes and i think um he's got as good a chance as any to be you know stretching the field and catching touchdown passes there as he is almost anywhere because daniel jones can throw a good ball and they've got a good supporting cast around him so um while do I think he maybe could have landed in a better spot? Sure. But, you know, if he'd if he'd wanted to take $4 million and land in Kansas City, then I think he would have done. But I think the guy wanted the $17-odd million that he's taken in New York and still lands in a fairly decent situation where, like we said last week, you know, whilst the Giants could equally be the bottom of that division, they could just as easily be at the top of it. Um, so... I'm, I'm going to disagree with you on that one, JB. I think he's in a he's in a much better position than he was last year. Put it that way. I think JB's point in part centres around his position could have been even better than the Giants, doesn't it? And and that I I kind of get. But the only thing I would say is the only person who you blame for that is Kenny Golliday. Sorry, is Kenny Golliday, because when you demand the kind of money he was demanding in a tight cap year, as we've discussed on this pod a number of times the Cardinals have got like half a million, you know, in cap space, you know, when he's demanding these huge sums of money, it was always going to be a limited number of teams. And also it was never going to be a, a superpower as such. Um, 
point about the Lions, I think I'll take it. It's very odd to not even talk about a team in rebuild, but a team who are clearly a year away from rebuilding. That That's an odd situation because, like you say, it's it's almost, you know, next year they're just stacking picks ready for next year. I suppose the way we saw the Dolphins do to an extent, but it it is quite a rare um, rare case in point. You know, the Jags maybe in, in the past have done it as well. Um, but, yeah, the thing for for me is that, can I see Golladay being successful? Yes, I think Daniel Jones' strength and Golladay's strengths kind of meet somewhere. There's a there's a kind of meeting of minds there that I could see working. Um, but JB, to your point, yeah, I mean, I think the Giants are probably not the Super Bowl type contender that in a different year, in a different situation, Golladay might have um, found himself playing for. But I mean, there is a cautionary tale here. You know, you've only got to look at the Cleveland Browns and you know, Beckham Jr. and think, well, actually, you know, where does guarantee you success? You know, I think we if you look on paper at teams like the Cleveland Browns in years gone by, as much as they definitely made a step last year, oddly without Beckham because of injury, but, you know, we, we've looked previously at these teams that stack themselves with talent. And I've got to be careful, the Cardinals could be one of these in the coming year, where for all the talent they add to the roster, it doesn't quite work. Um He's in a better situation than Detroit, so Aldrin, I agree with you. Could he have been in a better situation still? Yeah, JB, I kind of agree with you. I think there were other options that um, he might not have got the money, but he could have been nudging himself closer to a Lombardi. Yeah, I think there are other options for, for Golladay that probably would have been better than being thrown to by Daniel Jones. I don't rate Daniel Jones. I think this might be his last season as a starting quarterback, you know, unless unless, you know, he has a real step up from where he was last year. But, you know, as you've said before, Rob, you were probably saying the same thing about Josh Allen before this season. So who knows what, what's going to happen? But I don't know. It, it goes back to the division a, a little bit in that it's such a poor division that, you know, they could just as easily make the playoffs and come out of it and win the division as they could uh, come bottom and miss the playoffs. So it's hard to, to put a finger on it. Is it one that I'm going to sit on the fence on again? Maybe, but... Like Aldrin said earlier, if you look at staying in Detroit with Goff versus going to the Giants, you know, you, you could arguably say he's come out better. But if you look at it where he was last season being thrown to by Stafford versus now being thrown to by Daniel Jones, I think it's a, a downgrade. So not a not a winner for me on this one. You've got to fear a bit for Daniel Jones in a season where Mitchell Trubisky's only on a single year deal in Buffalo and then will be on an unrestricted free agent in 12 months time, Phil. I think it's nice how you've uh, stitched and uh, meshed those points together. I'll, I'll convince you all that Mitchell that Trubisky... Up, Rob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. And, and also, can I say, I, I, I actually think Jared Goff's a pretty smart piece of business for the Lions. I'm, actually, I'm not that sold on Matthew Stafford, but there you go. Maybe he'll um, tear the NFC West up and leave the Cardinals you know, crying into their breakfast cereal. Who knows? Um, I might end up eating those words. Um, but gentlemen, what an absolutely stunning roundup of free agent winners and losers. Um, four picks you wouldn't hear on any other podcast. Um, and like I say, I'll just put your ridicule down to, um, well, down to just ignorance and lack of creativity, Phil. That's how I'm going to sum that up. Uh, I think I think if, we had, if I had more, um, more open-minded um cohorts on this podcast maybe i would have been able to get my point out before the laughter and interruption but you know what time will tell um but gentlemen um if nothing happens in the nfl we always find something fun to stick our teeth into um shall we you know keep an eye on the news and maybe do the same next week thank you everyone for listening 
don't forget to send in your comments, um, any views, any requests for future podcasts. And don't forget to let us know how you did on Phil's Quiz of the Week this week. That's clubdubpodcast at mail.com. Sounding needy now, Phil, but I like it. This is amazing. Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends. Baker and I've Mayfield no idea how long it Browns. was, but Monday, I feel like it was like, 14th. it was Monday. something like. You're ruining something. my bit here, Aldrin. Oh, go on then. You go nuts. Go on. Again, <laughs> um, this is all getting cut. Good work. <laughs> might make the outtakes. Here we go. Right. So, let us I know how you well did done. at home. Instagram, Twitter, email. What's the email, Rob? Clubdub at gmail.com or something like that. Stop saying nonsense. I have to cut out. <laughs> Club dub podcast at mail.com. Let me recut it. So let us know how you did at home. Hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, or club dub podcast at mail.com. 24 weeks in and Phil doesn't know the email address. Good one. (laughs)